Hi everybody, we are on episode two of season seven and we have Paul Roberts from CI Expert with us. Hi Paul. Catherine, great to be with great to be with you on a slightly chilly but sunny morning. So Absolutely. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Great to be here. Thanks Brilliant. for asking us to be involved. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's good to get some insight on some critical illness, some deep diving into different things and comparing um, the way that the market works. So today we are going to be doing just that, looking at the differences between insurers and things to consider, especially if you are replacing a critical illness policy with a new one. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. So, Paul, I think it'd be quite good to start off with a bit of a history about critical illness cover. So, like, when and how did it all start? Catherine, of course. And I wonder how many have actually know that critical illness will be 40 years old this year. That's insane, isn't it? That's... Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Dr. Marius Barnard, who many of you may remember, was an eminent South African cardiac surgeon. And he observed that uh, most parents, uh, most patients who had a heart attack also suffered financial hardship. And as a result were compelled to work while recovering from the operations or undergoing treatments such as chemotherapy, which obviously had a tremendous um, impact on how quickly they recovered. So he suggested to the South African insurers at the time they should introduce uh, the ability to pay out a capital sum on the diagnosis of cancer or heart attack. And at the time, Crusader Life entered the South African market in 1983 with a simple four-condition plan that covered uh, cancer, heart attack, stroke, and coronary artery surgery. So it was a tremendous step forward for individuals at that particular time. And it took a while, but the first uh, critical illness plan, as we know it today, came to the UK uh, from Canon Lincoln in the mid-1980s. And it was actually called uh, Dread Disease Cover at the time. And other insurers such as Abbey Life and Nanai Dunbar were quick to follow. And for some years, it was only available via direct sales forces, all the direct sales forces at the time. And most early plans were also standalone critical illness, as we'd call it today. So they had no elements of life cover or accelerated or additional. And they usually had a 28 or 30 day survival period, too. So that added some form of... Um, uh, waiting period between the diagnosis and the ability to actually claim off the policy. Yeah, I think that's a really important one because I think, you know, from an advisor point of view, and it's something for people, I do find it with protection advisors at times, especially when I'm doing training, for a lot of people who don't do protection regularly, there is that, it's not obvious, I think, to a lot of people when they do standalone critical illness cover, especially if they're advising on it, about that survivability clause. So very, very, very basic example, you arrange a policy for somebody, they have a heart attack on the Monday. Um, so you think, OK, they should be able to claim on the critical illness cover, but four days later they die. Well, if it's standalone critical illness cover, they've died within the survivability period, which means that the policy will not pay out because they've not survived that time frame if it's combined with life insurance, which is what a lot of advisors do, it would automatically transfer to the death claim. So, yeah, I think it's really important to just highlight that bit there because a lot of people just don't seem to, to sort of like get that and understand that if there's, that's why the standalone critical illness cover is sometimes something that advisors can shy away from. Catherine, it's a tremendously important part when it comes to the advice recommendation and understanding that uh, a standalone policy by its nature doesn't have any form of life cover. There will always almost certainly be a survival period that, which varies. 
So advisors will need to consider all of those things and hopefully the research platforms available to advisors will help them come to the uh, the right decision about which particular policy is, is most suitable for any given situation. But you're right, it's it's an important consideration and one that everyone should be aware of. Absolutely. So I think, so I know we've done sort of the really beginning bits, but I think there was sort of like, was it around the 90s that there was some other interesting things that were happening? Is that right? Well, in the early 90s, yeah, after, uh, Catherine, absolutely. Uh, in the early 1990s, uh, the advisor supporting insurers began to enter the CI market and they brought a level of um, respectability, if you like, or acceptance that it became available to a wider population via a fully advised uh, process. Uh, Abbey Albany Lifesoy were the um, the first mainstream insurer at the time in probably 19 September 1991 I think and that introduced a eight condition uh, policy which included TPD but didn't actually have any children's cover at the time while uh, Scandia Life in December 1991, it launched a plan which included 24 conditions. So during that particular time where uh, intermediaries were uh, supported by uh, insurers to launch the plans, there was a tremendous difference between between the different ones being offered at the time. And the impact of this led to uh, competition between insurers. And if we use LNG as an example of a typical insurer at the time, tremendously uh, important one too, we can see that the condition numbers that they introduced jumped from 22 conditions in a policy from 1996 to uh, 29 in 2004, 34 in 2007, 38 in 2010. And by 2015, they'd introduced a 41 condition plan um, uh, and very quickly triggered off an evolution in the critical illness advised market in the UK. Additional payments were first introduced, I think, by Scandia in 2003, and they introduced uh, breast cancer and low-grade prostate cancer. And I think at the time it would have been uh, the lower of £10,000 or 20% of the sum assured at the time. And they were the first time that an insurer had added in the ability to claim additional benefits on top of the core uh, critical illness benefits at the time. And since then... You know, there's been a tremendous increase in the, in the range and diversity of additional payments offered by insurers, and all of which are designed to enhance the levels of payments that customers can claim on and, uh, you know, in, in various different ways. So. I was gonna, you can definitely see how they've evolved over time. And, you know, you said those jumping of numbers. Now, I know that there's been quite a thing at times where advisors have said, you know, we've been getting a bit frustrated in some ways about numbers and just more and more numbers. And I know we're starting to see a sort of like a shift away from that. Um, and hopefully, obviously, we'll go into that a little bit more. Um, we did start to see quite, I know we talked about how much, you know, we talked about the the fact that we were having different numbers coming up, so like more and more competition between insurers. We're starting to get the additional payments as well. But then we also started to get even more complexity, didn't we, between sort of the, the core and enhanced versions of the types of policies? Yes, and critical illness has been tremendously uh, evolutionary, for use of a better word, over the, the last couple of years, where insurers have focused on core and enhanced products for both adults and for children. They've introduced a, a range of um 
tremendously valuable health and well-being added value services too so that the ability for advisors and, and customers to select policies which are tailored specifically around their needs at the time that they can build in flexibility to change in the future but also to increase and decrease the levels of cover to add in children to add in planned children and to take all of these into account as part of a and a fully advised sales journey is a tremendous uh, evolution is definitely the right word in how insurers work with advisors and customers to make sure that they have the policies which are most suited to their specific needs the family needs the needs of their business as well and to be able to tailor and change those as they go through the lifetime of a policy so there's been a tremendous amount of change uh, i think it's when you were just one of the things there that stood out for me was that when you were mentioning about the children and adding children on and things like that and i think what's quite nice and I think as an advisor, it can be very difficult because we, when we're looking at a comparison, we often have core and core with children, then enhanced, enhanced with children. And that's usually in place for each insurer that we look at. So when you are sort of like a whole of market advisor, that's a tremendous amount of options to look at. But I think what's nice about it in, in many ways is the fact that it is responding to specific needs of a person. So, you know, you might have a couple who, you know, they might never want children. You know, that might just be something that they just never want. Or it might be that you have a couple who desperately want children and are unable to. So actually giving them the option to not have it staring them in the face saying, well, if you had children, they'd be covered for this. That's actually a really positive thing for them not to, to have to look at. But then also similarly, you know, I've, I've had a situation recently where I'd arranged some critical illness cover for a couple and um, and we'd included children's cover on the basis that they had planned at some stage to, to start a family. So they didn't have the children at that time. There was no pregnancy at the time. Um, but they've actually, so like in my general outreach to them, my review to make sure that everything was okay, it's actually ended up that I've discovered that they have had a child and they have had claimable conditions um, based upon the fact that it was things that was happening during the pregnancy. And obviously, if we were to arrange other children on once they were born, they wouldn't have had those payouts. So there is arguments to say that it's a good idea to have the children's cover in there if someone is planning on having a family but as with anything from an advice point of view we just need to make sure we're very clear to people as the about the cost of things i like with the critical illness cover and i know that the incredibly complex from the ca expert side looking at things but when we are looking again from an advice point of view at the core side of things we will look at the abi so that's the association of british insurers they're kind of like standard and core things and even that has evolved and changed over time as to what they class as a critical illness or not and we all you know heart attack cancer stroke they're definitely in there there's some other conditions as well that will sometimes save certain severities things like that but for anybody who's quite new to the protection side of things what can be quite interesting is that they'll see some conditions and some insurers will say well we've got this many abi conditions and this many abi plus conditions so when they say abi conditions it means you know we've included this the abi say we should include this as a minimum in a critical illness contract and then the abi plus um is them saying and we've actually gone beyond above and beyond what the abi say we should be doing so as an example, that could be that there's a condition listed and it says, you know, this condition of a specified severity. Well, with an insurer, they may have it as their ABI plus might just be 
diagnosis of this condition. So they might remove that severity aspect of it, which I think is really interesting for advisors to be aware of. But I know another area that, and sorry, just going back to this, but what we were talking about um, earlier was the numbers, the conditions race. I know that was ended up being what it was called for quite a bit. And we used to get it, as you say, with this competition where the insurers were just constantly adding on numbers. And it would be really difficult as well as an advisor because, you know, I certainly remember quite a distinct time um, at one point where there was an insurer who got a huge amount of extra conditions compared to another one that was just sort of like doing some extra updates at the time. But when you looked at it, the the one who had didn't have as many numbers against their their products in a sense they'd written like one of their definitions as all-encompassing as sort of and but then the other insurer who had like an extra 20 conditions what they'd done is they'd taken that that condition in a sense and they'd split it down into sort of like 20 other ones you know sort of like and really defined it so it was actually a case of well there's an extra 20 conditions covered there, but this one over here that's it's got all of those 20 are just encapsulated in one and are actually quite a broader definition. So it's quite hard, you know, when people say to you, well, what do you look for as an advisor? Um, and you sort of think, well, it's really, really tricky because it's kind of like, well, what is, what is the better way in a sense? Is it the numbers? Is it not? And we're starting to see a change in insurers who are wanting to focus upon quality definitions rather than numbers. So without sort of sort of naming names in a sense, um, can we take us through some of the big changes that have happened recently? Well, it's a tremendously uh, complex area, Catherine, as you, as you kindly identified there. And the, I think the big changes from the insurer's perspective are is they've quite clearly identified core and enhanced adult conditions. They've focused very heavily on making sure that the wordings meet uh, the best possible outcomes for customers. And it's successfully introducing the ability to have different levels of children's cover on the back. So you're creating a menu or portfolio, if you like, within an insurer, because you could have, in certain circumstances, core adult and enhanced children and vice versa. Mm. And I think that flexibility is really important when it comes to the whole advice process and how you as an advisor um, explain that to your customers so they, they can understand it, but also demonstrate visually. So it's very clear that, that everybody's you know reading from the same uh, same page, but also s- to support that with information that they can easily understand. So that when they look back in time and they come to claim if, if that's a situation or that they have the evidence easily available to them that they can understand and link very importantly to the advice that you as the advisor has given them. And once they can see that those factors are all in the same place, they have a tremendous amount of confidence in the outcomes they're going to get because they believe in what you have recommended to them. They've taken out a policy which they believe at the time is most suited to them. And in the unfortunate circumstances when they need to actually make a claim, that they can make a claim understanding what they can claim for and how to make that claim and how it sits within their personal family uh, environment or business environment. And by using research platforms correctly, then that information should be made available to both you as the advisor or to you as the advisors and to your customers in a way that they can clearly understand. So the outcomes they get are what, they're expecting to get in any given circumstance and the 
the ability to deliver that as well as uh, compare to historic plans and also overlay the tremendously important uh, added value services, health and wellbeing services that insurers are now offering as part of their their plans is um, something that which will only add complexity to the critical illness sale, but it also adds tremendous value to the customer who takes out the policies and uses them in the way they're designed to be used. Absolutely. Um, so I was saying about how it can be really intense for an advisor um, when we're looking at all of these things. Do you think that we've got kind of like the right mix? And I was just talking there about, and obviously I share my opinion about having core and then children, not children included, things like that. The ability to include TPD or not include TPD, you know, and, and things obviously with the, from from my knowledge, the success rate of a, a TPD claim is, is very different to the overall success rate in a claim for, for other critical illnesses that we'd be looking at. So, do you think we've got the right mix of things at the moment? Or if, if you could start from scratch, maybe, what would you think? Do you think it would it would all look the way that you it kind of looks now? Now, Catherine, that's that's a great question. <laughs> that is that is a great question. Um I think I believe that um grouping conditions into outcomes is an approach that if you were starting from scratch, you might want to consider. So rather than having a, just a list of I'm gonna, so many conditions, the most important thing is the the impact it has on the policyholder should they need to make a claim at the time of claim. So the more ability they have to do that, that's the fundamental change that you would consider to make to a, a critical illness policy. And you know it's not the number of conditions that you have. It's the number of conditions that you can claim from mm. should they be grouped. And there are some insurers who you'll know who do group conditions at the moment. And you know we would recognise those as being a, a great step forward and would encourage other insurers to take a similar approach. And you know, when we look at how uh, our uh, subscribers use our particular CI expert system, you know, they use it in a way to demonstrate that their customers, whether they're existing policies or or policies they're looking to take out today, have the ones which are most suited to their needs and their budgets and their personal circumstances. And in any comparison that you make, it's not the number of conditions that you will get from a new plan it's the number of conditions that you that you as the consumer might no longer have access to should you move to a plan which doesn't include them. And the whole uh, debate, consideration that an advisor needs to take into account with their clients and their uh, families is, is the best plan the one they have at the moment if so, then we need to leave that one alone. Yeah. If they need more cover, do we need to add on to the existing plan we've got, either using a guaranteed increase option or a fully underwritten increase, or do we take out the, the, the extra amount with another insurer, or do we look to replace the current plan 
with a new insurer or insurers. Yeah. And they are the only three outcomes, really, that you can have from a, a consumer review. And what the research platforms are t- today are designed to do is to give you the information to make those decisions. And if it is a situation where the existing policy that might be from an insurer from two or three years ago is still considered uh, to compare favourably with the plans of today, then let's leave that one alone. Let's make sure that we reinforce the benefits that particular insurer has, that if they had health and wellbeing services included, that the customer is available, those services are available. And if they need some more, well, let's top it up with another insurer if necessary. And the insurers might be different based on gender. It might be different based on whether it's a level policy or a decreasing policy. It might be different whether it's based on the number of children they have or don't have. And as you correctly identified earlier, you know, as you get on in life and you no longer have your children, you may have had your children and grown, they may be grown up and married and off by themselves, then you don't need children included in a critical illness policy. So let's remove the complexities of having children included to start with, because you just want an adult-only policy. You probably want an adult-only policy based on either of an individual within a couple, because you might have a a male policy and and a female policy, which might deliver a different outcome from a different insurer. So you would need to have those to be considered as well. Uh, And you're right earlier on too, you might want to add children in the future. So you need to consider the flexibility to be able to add those in whether it's um, existing conditions or congenital conditions or complications of pregnancy or whatever the conditions might be, you know, fully understanding how these uh, the critical illness plans of today cover these particular conditions is tremendously important to the outcome that any consumer will get in the unfortunate circumstances that they ever need to make a claim off any of them. And during the journey that we and the responsibility that we have as a as a research platform and you guys have as advisors is to make sure that any recommendation that you make is based on as much realistic and real uh, reasonable information that you can get to make a fully informed decision based on any individual circumstances at the time that you're making that particular recommendation. Absolutely. And I think there's certain things in there that have absolutely pricked my ears as the compliancy person. Kick replacement policies. You're saying, you know, do we keep a plan in place? Do we maybe just top up with something new? Or maybe we are in a position where it'd be better to completely replace the the original policy. Now, that tends to be more... I, I think I tend to see that more in a situation where if you had like a decreasing insurance policy for a mortgage that had lasted originally, I don't know, 10 years, and now the new mortgage is 25 years or something. So the original plan is going to be decreasing far quicker than the mortgage. So ideal world situation, we'd get something brand new to cover the 25 years. I will say ideal world situation. That is just very specifically in a hypothetical context. I'm not saying you would take that approach for every situation like that. I'm just using it as an example. What can go wrong for an advisor when we're replacing? You know, what should we be looking out for when we're replacing an, an original critical illness policy with a new one? So that we've had to rule out the top up, we're looking at needing to replace. Catherine, you do put me in difficult positions on a, on a Monday morning, I've got to say. <laughs> but there are, there are several things which have fundamental importance in replacing any given plan. So 
if we if we get if we create a sort of imaginary priority list, we've got has the individual's needs and circumstances changed from a product perspective? Has their health changed? Has their the ability to take out a new policy on the same basis that their current one? Is that still the same? Do they have children? Have they had any more children? There are a whole range of questions that need to be considered in that journey. If they have a critical illness policy in the first place, that's a tremendous place to start because a decision has already been made by the customer and the advisor, hopefully involved, that having a critical illness policy, whether level or decreasing, and actually having one already there is a brilliant place to begin these conversations. The The other conversation you can have is why haven't you got one if you haven't got one? Because you need to have at some stage a conversation about critical illness plans or income protection and in addition to any life cover. The converse, next conversation will be, do you need it on a level basis or do you need it on a decreasing basis? Do you need it on a joint life first event or do you need it on two single lives? And that applies to life cover as well as to, to critical illness. And you could argue that in the best case scenario, a individual policy on a level basis for any given individual could be considered to be a better option than a joint life first event plan on a decreasing basis. Again, it's all down to affordability, it's down to need, it's down to uh, customer circumstances. All the conversations that you'll be having as an advisor deliver the outcome. But ultimately, we have to try and get our, our customers into a place where they have the highest, most comprehensive insurance product on themselves and their families as they possibly can. If they choose not to have that for whatever reason, you know, that's their their decision. But we need to give them the option to consider and the costs and the, the pros and the cons and everything that you guys do tremendously well as advisors on a day-to-day -day basis. Have these conversations and add in all the other bits and pieces that now come with modern-day plans. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is that having something is better than nothing. Reviewing it regularly is a tremendously important thing. Having plans that give flexibility to change and increase and decrease and add things in are also important, but also to pose the question that is one insurer or the products of one insurer always going to be to deliver the best outcome for a customer when they could have the plans of two or three different insurers to create a portfolio of critical illness rather than a single solution. Uh, and that's for you guys to decide what's the best to deliver in uh, your particular advice process. But it's an interesting concept to ponder over when you're actually delivering that, should I put all my future critical illness eggs into one basket or should I put them into two or three different ones, depending on the initial level of cover that I need and whether that needs to differ, whether it's a level policy or whether it's a decreasing policy. 
and then layer on the health and well-being services that are now available to insurers. And of course, one of the things that uh, any replacement policy, whether it's a life policy or a CI policy or an IP policy, is that does the policy that you are replacing also have health and well-being services that have been added on retrospectively by the modern day insurers, even though the brand that you have the policy with is no longer available? It might have been um, encompassed in a, in a current brand that you might not recognise. So again, that's very much down to you as the advisor understanding what your client actually has who it's from and who their current parent or owner is today and then looking back at the health and well-being services because you could be in a situation where you have a life only policy with insurer uh, x that has been taken over by in company uh, is now part of a bigger insurer today who's added their current range of health and well-being services onto their level term policy, for example, that you're now looking to replace to a modern, up-to-date plan where the health and well-being services on the insurer today aren't as good or strong or wide-ranging as the ones they have on their life policy that they took out where the insurer of today has made them retrospective onto the policy that you may have. Now, that's a slightly badly worded explanation, but I think what I'm suggesting is that look closely at the detail of what's available on your plans, who the insurers that your customers have an existing plan with, and just to check a little bit closer on what else is available on top of the plan rather than just the core benefit. Absolutely. And I think um, from like a compliance point of view, so what I'll be saying to my team is that whenever we're doing... Um, a replacement uh, critical illness policy, if that's the right uh, step to take for a client, is that we always provide a comparison of the old policy with the new one because I've not come across a situation personally where the new policy is 100% better than the original policy. Uh, a really clear example of that is um, for older policies, especially HIV, used to be a claimable critical illness. Now, um, it's not considered to be a critical illness anymore the abi have removed it from its standard set of conditions that should be included because obviously as you said this you know these policies and the, the, everything about this is usually based upon 40 years ago in in many ways and um life is very very different medically and everything since um 40 years ago so it's very you know it's very common to have a look at the comparisons and see well actually there is a negative to the change hiv is no longer included now it probably will be that there's many many other things that are much much better but it's it's not really possible as an advisor and even if you did have 100% or supposedly looking at it and it looks 100% better as an advisor i would make sure that there was a statement somewhere in my recommendation that was along the lines of saying I cannot guarantee that this is 100% better than what you've had before. However, if you look at this side by side comparison, I, I do believe that it is, you know, and I do believe it's, it's worth the change. And as long as you put that in front of the client and they can see the difference, so you've been very transparent, very clear, that's important. An extra thing to be very mindful of as well is things like we've been talking here about the children's critical illness cover. So there used to be 
there's often different percentages. So, you know, it's, it's usually around, I think it's about 25%, you know, of the summer show to a maximum of 25,000. We used to have percentages that were higher than that. And it might be that there are times where you might be looking to move it and actually that percentage might drop. Now, again, it might be the right decision for the client given their circumstances right now. But as an advisor, and especially as I always think from a compliance point of view, it's really important to just make sure you're looking out for that. Make sure there's a bit of a fail safe. If you've, as a company, if you are obviously a company and you've got advisors under you, when there's a replacement, there should be enhanced compliance checking on there. And there should be things like this in there, like has there been some kind of a comparison provided to the client? Does this include, you know, potential changes to the children's critical illness cover as well in terms of percentages of cover, the additional payment percentages as well? Um, just so that if there is ever a query you know, there's not a thing of you being suddenly this person coming back and saying, hang on, you didn't tell me about this, because that's not going to be a positive situation for the client. It's not going to be a positive situation for you as the advisor who's provided the advice. So we're coming towards the end of the episode now, Paul. And um, I always like to, if people have come on from a certain company, to give you a chance to just have a little bit of a, a chat about things and, and what's going on and different changes. And obviously you are from CI Expert. I know there's been lots and lots going on with CI Expert um, that you've, I, I think you've supported, is it more than 24,000 advisors, which is just incredible, absolutely incredible. But I think there's some really key upcoming things coming up if you just want to give us a, a quick rundown. Well, Catherine, before I do that, I'd just like to say thanks very much for involving us in the conversation. It's been tremendously interesting. And we've only, I think, touched the surface of the yeah. the level of information that we go in. But, yeah, we've got uh, we, we've got some exciting things coming. Uh, we've got um, three new insurers going on to our Insight Zone uh, during February, which is a tremendous uh, boost for that. It's, uh, it's what we won the uh, Cover Awards uh, innovation for last year and we're only going to make that better yeah. we've got um a new category based approach to health and well-being services going into it at the same time so we are really uh, looking to support advisors with more information in that particular thing uh, many of you know that uh, vitality are um uh, upgrading uh, uh, their particular proposition shortly and we will be adding Vitality into CI Expert uh, towards the end of February. So I'm sure that many of you out there will be uh, delighted to know that. And I think coming back to your, your key point, Catherine, about the importance of understanding replacement is that uh, within the CI Expert system, when you're comparing an historic plan with a current one, our primary focus is to make you and the customer aware of the conditions that they'll be losing. And we do that by highlighting those in red in for those who are familiar with expert. And we also then break that down into the wordings and the definitions by using a an icon service with bronze, silver and gold thumbs. And that impacts on the significance of the changes. Hmm. And uh, what we strongly recommend is that for advisors using us that in any replacement policy that they do make that they're the fundamental visual triggers that are used to explain to the customer the strengths of the plan that they've got at the moment uh, the strengths of the plan they're looking or plans that they're looking to replace it with but also to fully make them aware of what they might be losing should they swap from one to another and once you've taken into account all those three factors 
then I think you're in a position to make a reasonably, uh, well, not reasonably, but a tremendously uh, strong recommendation as to whether you keep the policy that you've got, you top it up, or you take out a new one or new ones. And once you're in that position, then then you are doing a fantastic job for for your clients uh, on a regular basis. And uh, hopefully CIX will be part of that in the future. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Paul. It's been really good to get you on to it, to get all these insights. Um, so thank you, everybody, for listening as well. Next time, I'm going to be back with an in-between episode, and we'll be talking about some updates that we are seeing in the market in regards to underwriting outcomes for people living with HIV. If you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And as always, if you've listened to this as part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website too, thanks to our sponsors, the OCTO members. Thank you, Paul. Catherine, thank you. Absolutely. And hope you enjoyed the conversation. And uh, if you've got any questions, please get in touch with us. Thank you again. Fantastic. Thank you. Bye.